0: Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands, I am your host, and today is a very special 75th episode, all right? This drops August 18th, which is five years to the day from the very first interview on this show in 2015. I am beyond thrilled to welcome one of my hardcore heroes, Lou Caller, from the greatest of all time, sick of it all. Stay tuned. All right, man. Well, I I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show. I've been a little persistent trying to get you on, I know.
1: No, it's no problem. I just had to find the time, and now we have plenty of time, so...
0: Yeah, how are you guys doing with the lockdown? I know New York's been hit pretty bad, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all right. It's, uh, you know, doing the whole stay in self-quarantine and all that, only going out when necessary. Uh, Sometimes you go out like, today, we me and my family just went to the the town next to ours to
0: see what's going on. It was like a freaking ghost town, you know? Yeah, it's a trip.
1: Which is weird, because it's usually, uh, you know, hopping, especially in the summertime, you know?
0: Yeah, it's weird to see places you've seen packed a million times with, you know, looks like a zombie apocalypse shit with nobody <laughs> out. Yeah, exactly. Have you guys I, in the band seen each other at all, or are you just uh, phone calls and I, Zoom?
1: Yeah, I haven't seen anybody. I haven't seen besides uh, messages and phone calls and stuff like that. But uh, we do uh, have been recording, but it's just you know we're just trying stuff out. So we did a bunch of old songs where it would be like Armand would video himself and record, and then he'd send it to Pete and Craig, and then they send it to me, <laughs> and then we get it. Then we get our uh, our producer to check it out and mix it. So.
0: That's pretty great, man. I like that a lot.
1: I like it too, but it's it's it came out fine. But uh, I miss rehearsing with those guys. But uh, you know, that's just a you know that's the extras. That's like, like like playing the songs is cool, but it's all the extras that goes you know joking around and you know booking a four hour practice and only actually playing the set once and then talking for three
0: hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, man. I I haven't seen my my drummer in so long. Man, you know, I've been recording demos here at the house and just emailing them to him. But, you know, when you're trying to arrange a song, you know, we're trying, yeah. to, I was like, I got the bones of it, but we need to get like on Zoom and, and try to at least like map out parts before we put this shit to tape. Like, it's so weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like the last few albums the way we did it is because Pete lives in Florida. Really? And, you know, Craig uh, stays in upstate New York and our minds in Westchester. And I'm in Jersey, we'd all write separately and send snippets, like you said. And But then when we, we would be, all right, we're going to meet. It's coming up for two weeks. We're going to rehearse, and we'd go into the rehearsal room for two weeks and bang out, like, rearrange it and try different things. Stuff that, like, when you speak about it over the phone or whatever, it just doesn't really connect, you know?
0: Well, yeah, that's that's the magic of it, is it's one thing. I mean, yeah, like every record, I lay down ideas and I'll send them to him, but then... We just get together in the room, you know, and that that's where the magic happens, the collaboration, you know, it's, it's kind yeah, of... Yeah,
1: exactly. I, mean, of... I can remember, like, even uh, certain songs where we'd be playing them live and all of a sudden Craig would be like, wait, 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 instead of doubling, you know, going back to the fast part here, let's cut it, you know, play it at halftime at this point. It would just be like a little hook that you threw, and it just came up because we were playing it together in the room, you know, it's something that he didn't come up with on his own, yeah. Sitting in his bedroom.
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, do you guys ever do that where you've had a song that you've been playing a while and then maybe even after it's recorded you change it up for the, for the show?
1: Oh yeah there's a, a couple. The first one that comes to mind is maladjusted the way that because uh, Craig just did maladjusted with uh, Roy from he used to be a nausea the drummer but he he drums for Stone sour and he drums with Corey Taylor. And I forget who else was on the track. Uh, uh, Craig from Agnostic Front also, the guitar player.
0: Yeah, I watched that. that. It was so good.
1: They did a good cover of Mal Justin, but it was exactly like the album original, the live version. We switched, uh, there's a break in there that we added just because our mind was like, it's too chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> so we did that one. We did. Like, there's a couple of songs where we switched stuff up. It's funny, sometimes we'll be, we'll write a song a certain way, you know, record it, and then we go on tour. And then, like at the middle of the tour, I'm gonna go like, "What do you think about the, you know, the way I'm playing such and such a song?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's great." He goes, "I changed the drumming." and I'm like, "You did? <laughs> I didn't <even> notice."
0: <laughs> You're like, "Man, I'm up here with the crowd. I didn't hear that
1: shit." Exactly. As long as the kick drum's steady, where it was.
0: <laughs> That's what I tell the sound check engineers when I'm like, "Look, you can do whatever you want. Just make sure I hear the kick and the snare. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Otherwise, just have at it."
1: yeah and it's funny as we got you know i guess bigger or whatever and uh we used to do that too monitors oh just kick and snare all across the monitors and some and lead vocals now it's like can you bring the floor tom up but we get so spoiled you know?
0: <laughs> yeah right then you spend uh, 20 minutes sound checks and shit yeah
1: hey I mean, 20 minutes is good i mean we people love like when we do our sound checks clubs or whoever even though bands are just like Wow, you guys get up, you play two songs, and you're done. We're like, yeah, we just get the levels we want, we're we're good. And then we sit there and laugh at the opening band who comes up and plays their whole complete set like two times. Yes, for the sound check. Sound check
0: is not practice.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one thing if like they come in and specifically go like, "Hey, we haven't played in a while." It's hard if we sit up here and 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 go over songs. We're like, yeah, sure. It's funny when you get there and. Yeah, we do our sound check and like, yeah, these guys need do their soundcheck and they play for forty minutes and you're like, oh
0: my god, stop it! I mean, I, I've done that on occasion where it's like, I, I also do a lot of hip hop, and so there have been times where it's like, oh, so and so is in town, he's going to be a, uh, he's going to feature on this song. We haven't played yeah. this in person ever, so hey, why don't you come up and do the sound check? Hey, do you mind if we run a whole track? Yeah, sure. Just bang it out once and basically yeah. wing it after that.
1: We've never done that, but I've been to uh, asked to sing with other bands, and I'm always like, I always ask like, if I can come and do it at Soundcheck if we've never sang. I've done it with, you know, Rise Against have asked me several times, and each time's a different song. I don't like going up cold because I still get, I guess it's a nervous condition. Uh, the last time when they did the summer stage in New Jersey, I happened to be standing next to Brian Baker, and they come running off in between songs and go, like, Hey, why don't you two guys join us? We're going to do a cover of
0: Minor Threat. And I'm yeah.
1: like, which song? And they go, the, mi- the song, Minor Threat. Yeah. And it went completely blank on the
0: lyrics. Oh, I know no. that
1: song forwards and backwards. But they want. I'm like, why didn't we
0: rehearse this? Why didn't you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can remember certain parts. So I told Tim,
1: I said, you sing everything. I'm going to jump in like we're the Beastie Boys. I'm going to sing what I remember.
0: Yeah, I'll hype you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I've actually done that. I remember shit, we were on tour last year, uh my band dead fucking serious and you know like they wanted an extra song or something and I just started playing the intro to Minor Threat cuz like I just figured that our, I figured that our bass player would know it. I mean like we've played it before but like yeah. a- everyone's played that song and he's like, "Wait, what are you doing?" I'm like, "Ah, never mind, we tried." <laughs> That's
1: happened to me also where it's like I've gotten like a when refused at their first reunion, they asked me to come down to Brooklyn and they did uh they did an injustice system in clobbering time. Oh fuck so I yeah! Went at the, I went for sound check with them, and the drummer has not seen us since like the early '90s when we played in Sweden, and he was playing it at the the original album speed, which was so slow. <laughs> so we go, it, came, it came off okay. And I go to him at the end of rehearsal, at the end of the sound I go, yeah, we kind of played a lot faster now. He goes, oh okay, and then. I came back for the show, and he walks up to me before they go on. And he goes, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos of you recently. I get it. We're going to play it a lot faster. And it was, it was great.
0: <laughs> and that dude fucking slays, too, with his like jazz style. That, that, oh, yeah. That'd be great to hear for Sick of It All.
1: Yeah, he's cool.
0: He was good. Well, you mentioned like collaborations, features, whatever, and clobbering time. I mean, I, I did want to ask about the, the KRS-One thing that you guys did on non-stop i mean that was pretty cool what how'd you oh yeah how'd you link up with him
1: well i mean years ago when we first met up with him uh that was through uh my older brother's girlfriend was working at a studio and uh she she came back one night to my house and says oh i got this uh i go who's in the studio And she goes there's a rapper this guy uh uh, KRS-One and I go oh Boogie Down Productions and yeah. she goes you know Boogie Down Productions cause you know, we're hardcore <laughs> punk kids and then she tells him this the next night that my boyfriend's uh, little brothers and all their punk friends love your music and he was like punk kids like my music and she That's awesome. she said bring them down so we went down there we met him and uh, we asked him to say the intro and then uh, fast forward years later to our I think it was the 20th anniversary album and we were doing stuff over. We said we have to get KRS to do a, an update. And we called him up. We got in touch with him. We sent emails, all that. And he was down right away. And then when he did it, we go, okay, what do you want? You know, how much do you want for that? He goes, send me three triple XL T-shirts. That's it. <laughs> this guy's amazing. You know, this guy gets paid. You know, I don't know about guest spots, but I know for lectures he gets paid really well. And he goes to lectures all over the world. You know he's cool. He knows we're not a million dollar making band. We're not, you know, barely making thousand dollars.
0: Oh, I'm I'm sure his features uh, cost a pretty penny. I yeah.
1: Yeah, he was cool, man. He just like he knew, and it was funny because in between those two stories, I remember one time I was at a a friend's house and uh, his sister was watching some teen show on PBS. You know, like you know public broadcasting thing. They always had those teen shows and they were interviewing Karis Swan and they asked him what kind of stuff do you listen to besides hip hop and he goes oh I like some crazy stuff I like this
0: band called Sick of It All and everybody in the room was like oh my god <laughs> that's awesome man yeah it's good uh, see that shows my ignorance though cause I, I got into you guys in the 90s on like scratch the surface shit and so I I'm showing my age when I say that I don't have the first record I only have all the the records with the current lineup <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's all right. I mean, I love that first record. And they're, like The songs are good, but the performances are not. You know, it's like we had
0: three days to record, mix, and master that album. That's insane. And we did, we, I think there's 22
1: songs all together, and we did it. It was like a marathon of no sleep, you know? I mean, a big, uh, the band between us and our producer at the time, this guy Tom Swords, he did a lot of the... He did, like, the Cro-Mags, Age of Quarrel. He did Leeway's first two albums, I think. He was a guy to go to from New York. He he was in Rhode Island, actually. And, uh, you know, he really fucking, he was a trooper, man. He was like, no, we're going to get this done. It was like a, you know, like a challenge to him.
0: I mean, did you have to track the whole thing live or what?
1: You know, I did scratch vocals, and he, I don't think he even kept any of them. He, He made me go back, like, they did all the music. And then the next day I did all the vocals and that same day we did the backing vocals and
0: it was like a, a 24 hours of mixing. Oh my and God. To be honest, some of those songs are like, you know, 30, 40 seconds or, or a
1: minute. And they were like, okay, that's a set mix for these five songs. Let's hit it. You know, we tweak a little bit, but you know, back then it was all analog. So it wasn't like Pro Tools now.
0: Well, yeah. And fucking 22 songs of hardcore vocals, even if they're short, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But you see, that's a lot of it. That's why uh, I, I don't like
1: to listen to the album. I don't you know, sound like I'm crack or anything, but some of it's delivered so monotone, I think just because of uh, repetition or, or just fatigue or whatever. That's yeah. another reason why on the 20th anniversary, we did a nonstop where we re-recorded a bunch of those songs.
0: Well, that's one of those things that I feel like every band who's been around long enough wishes they could do. Shit, half the time you drop a record, and a year later, after you've toured it a bunch, you're like, oh, I wish we would have done that one thing on the record, you know? It's like, exactly. Y- y- you guys That'd got be, to dive it. deep and redo, like, I mean, you had shit all the way up to Relentless on there.
1: Yeah. Uh, Relentless wasn't any different than it was on the album. We just tried to put it out so that, it, it was so weird. When that album came out, Life on the Ropes, Yeah, Relentless was a huge hit. I remember our first show in New York after the album had been out for like a month we opened with Relentless and the place went absolutely crazy. And then you fast forward two years, we playing Relentless and not a soul moving in the crowd. What the fuck? Like, we didn't understand. And it's, it's, it's like, was it a new generation, whatever? So that's why we. I asked for Relentless to be on that record to try and get people hyped about it again. But it really didn't work.
0: <laughs> oh man, that, that surprises me. I, I saw you guys on that tour and I remember that. I mean, that was it's a good album but like that that song was the cut you know like it that's the lead fucking fiery that's the let go of that album you know yeah (laughs) that was a good fucking record all right um let me dig into some of my notes here oh i did want to shout out Erin micklow because she had you on not the last time but before that and it kind of gave me the idea of like oh man when they got something coming up, I'm going to hit them up and, and and see if I can talk to Lou or Pete or somebody. And and uh, now you guys got this book coming out, so I had to reach out. Um, yeah. But, I mean, for me, I mean, you guys are the all-time, I mean, as far as hardcore is concerned. I mean, no breakups, no hiatus, no whack record. I mean, you got ev- <laughs> Sick of it all is, like, every band member contributes. I, you know, I've listened to some of your other interviews, and it's like, I know Armand writes a lot of lyrics, but I know kind of everybody contributes, and, and that's just so fucking rare, man. I mean, it's
1: yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's been like that from the beginning. I think the first two records, it was 80% me and Pete, but Armand would come in and he would be like, no, don't do it like that, do it like this. Because even back then, he was he would always say, you know, he wasn't an official member of the band. He, he was doing a, actually doing us a favor when we made the demo, when we made the first record, whatever. But uh, he always contributed. And then uh, Richie back then would always help come up with songs and riffs. And it's been like that since then. And I think especially the last few albums, everybody stepped up even more. The way uh, on the last album, Pete came up with a lot of lyrics or partial lyrics. Me and Pete have co-written a bunch of songs on the last two albums. Craig came up with some really great songs, and uh I know him and Armand worked on lyrics on a couple of them, and some he just wrote all the lyrics, so it's
0: been great, man, what you said about Armand it made me think of uh I think it was brian Baker it might have been Hedson, but I think it was Brian Baker who was like uh helped out bad religion on like a song in the eighties and then just didn't leave, <laughs> you know, like he came in just oh yeah, you want me to do a solo, yeah, sure. And then it was just like, at some point, they were like, oh, he, he's in the band at this point, isn't he? <laughs> That's
1: great. Yeah, it was a weird time. Like, Armand left to, uh, well, before that, he was in Rest in Pieces and Straight Ahead. We had this other drummer, this kid named Dave. He was a good guy, but he wasn't really, he, we did one show with him and he was done. He didn't want to play anymore. Uh, so we were going to do a demo. We asked Armand to rehearse with us for the demo. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll rehearse it. Then we did the demo. Then he would go on tour with us when we got shows, and then we did the first album. I think by the time of the first album, he was he was a member, you know?
0: Well, and I know Craig was in AF and other bands and stuff before that, too. Yeah. He was in, actually in Rest in Pieces also with Armand. Oh, I so, didn't realize but, that. But even even on our first album, uh, Craig
1: came to the recording, that marathon recording, and uh, he came up with like one line and I forget which song. Uh, I, I think it was uh, The Blood and the Sweat. He came up with a line for it. Uh, Howie, who writes the book with us, he helped me. In justice system, I was stuck on a line, and he just said, I wanted to write something about being held by a leash. And he goes, how about short leash? And I go, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know. Yeah, that's awesome, man, how it just it's, it's always, it just kind of happens, good. you know? Like, when when the chemistry is is real, it's is, it is, it is like effortless, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's a lot of people,
1: it was funny, I went to the, uh, when Killing Time had their 30-year anniversary, I remember uh, Carl and Drago, and me were hanging out talking, and he goes, I think uh, Last Act of Defiance had just come out, and they turned, he, Drago goes, how the hell do you guys still make good albums after all these years? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, man, it's just what we love to do. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's, that's kind of my favorite thing about you guys, is that... You know, in in some ways, every record is better than the last. You know, and and that's that's uh, just facts. such a such a rare thing. You know, especially the. I mean, once you guys linked up with Two Madsen, it really like changed the band. I feel like. I mean, I, oh, just yeah. as a fan oh. from the outside, I feel like that was the the genesis. It was almost like a second win for you guys, because it's like. Yeah. I mean, I I know you jumped from label to label, producer to producer. And then once you hit with him and with, and with Century, it was like, all right, this is what we fucking sound like, you know?
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, two got it, you know? Uh, I remember as he was... We were originally going to go with the guy Zeus because he did such a great job with uh, Madball. But he was busy, and two had been befriended us because I, I went and I sang on a, uh, a Haunted album. One of the Haunted albums, I went and I sang a, a song with them. And that's how I met, too. And uh, he started flying to all of our shows in Europe because he's based in Denmark. Yeah. And he would just show up at all these different festivals, getting our live vibe. And then when we finally decided, OK, let's give Tua a shot, he knew exactly what to do. And the Death to Tyrants was the result. And I was just like, when we heard it, we all looked at each other like, whoa, yeah, that's exactly what was missing.
0: That's pretty crazy that he did his homework in that way of, like, just trying to to get the vibe right before you even walk in to talk about demos or anything. Yeah. I mean, it really shows.
1: he He was a fan of ours for years, but he never thought to ask us to be the producer or whatever. He's known more for his mixes. He gets hired by, like, you know, Judas Priest and Ozzy or whoever, these big, big names, to mix their albums. But his, he's produced a lot of stuff, but we were just so happy that he didn't, he did his homework like that. And he didn't say like, okay, I have this, uh, this mix I do for the band Hate sphere so I'm going to use it on Sick of It All. You know, it wouldn't work. He knew what we were like. He knew that we had, you know, metal roots, but we have roots in punk and oi too, so.
0: For me personally, Death to Tyrants, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to. That, that is my number one hardcore album, period. Oh, that's great! Thank you. That album is my just as a musician, that is my pre-show ritual album. Like if I'm playing like a hometown gig, yeah, that is in the van when I'm driving ac- across town with the gear every single time. I mean, I've listened to that shit before like a hundred shows, no joke. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just fuel to the fire, man.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what we we do that with like the Bad Brains. We play we play that some nights. Sunlights, of course, it would be either Victim in Pain from Agnostic Front yep. or, or, you know, uh, Asia Quarrel, just stuff like that to get you pumped and excited. You Some, know?
0: Sometimes I put that, on uh, Agnostic Front, Riot, Riot, that record.
1: Yeah, that's a good record, too.
0: But yeah, I mean, Death to Tyrants, that and uh, No Effects, uh, what was it, Wolves and Wolves Clothing came out on the same day in 2006. And I remember going that's to the, the record store and picking them up, and I couldn't believe that, like, both of these bands that I listened to forever that even predated me had been doing it forever were somehow better than before, you know, and and just killing it, right? And, And I literally started my band, Dead Fucking Serious, like, a couple weeks after that because I couldn't stop listening to those records and I started writing. At first, it was a blend of this, like, super aggressive hardcore and this melodic skate punk shit because that that's just all i was listening to was those two albums and (laughs) it just it just stuck with me to this day of that that's my go-to hype record that's awesome (laughs) oh man so i mean what was it about century though i mean we talked about two but i mean you guys partnered with them for a long time
1: yeah well i mean It's very strange. When we were leaving our first label, Relativity, you know, we did uh, the first album and then we did Just Look Around and they really didn't give a crap. They didn't push anything. (laughs) And Just Look Around was a hit in Europe. It was licensed through Roadrunner there.
0: But we were like, our contract's up. We don't want to... We're supposed to do seven albums with them. Oh my God.
1: And yeah, well, we were kids. We
0: thought we were going to do one record and break up. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to do this for a living.
1: So we... uh, we wanted to get off the label. We, we went and met with the owner. We were like, you guys aren't doing anything for us. We're busting our ass all over the world. We're doing what... They were banking on this band, Shotgun Messiah, to be the next Guns and Roses.
0: <laughs>
1: they put, and this is the thing. They gave us, for our first album and second album, we got $10,000 each to record, And which to us was like the, all the money in the world, but when you start paying for recording, it's not. Yeah. And meanwhile, they got Shotgun Messiah... A freaking house in L.A., uh, a weekly allowance, and four rented cars for them to live the rock and roll L.A. lifestyle, so they could write the next
0: Appetite for Destruction. And it never happened. Man, I just I listened to John Feldman on an interview, uh, you know, from Goldfinger uh, the other day, and he was talking about the same shit. Where like he got a a deal for ten thousand dollars, and he had been working in a shoe store, and he's like, dude, to this day. They own half the rights to all of our classic shit, and I cannot get it back. He's like, "But I just did not want to fucking sell shoes." I'm like, "Yeah, I get it. I mean, you're just exactly. starting out; you I don't mean, know any better."
1: I'm glad he, you know, he's still around, and he's made money producing all that. It's a shame because I mean, look at even people like oh, what's that guy's name from Cretan's Clearwater Revival? He didn't play all his hits for decades because he couldn't get the uh, he gave the rights away.
0: Yeah, you know, or Jello.
1: You're a kid, and you just wanna
0: play your music you know yeah but it was good i mean they went and they sold us uh so back then sorry to, to take off track but back then no, i love it century media approached us and we were like a little wary because we knew the owners
1: from the first time we went to europe uh, in 92 and they loved us they loved sick of it all and they said we, they want us on their label but we felt it was we didn't know them we only saw that they only had metal etc yeah uh so we ended up going with Fat Records for years, which was great for the first few albums, but then it just started to peter off, especially in Europe. I mean, America, they always tried their best with us, but we weren't a fat band, and they weren't able to push hardcore where it should have been pushed, which was the metal arena, you know?
0: It's, it's interesting. A, it's I mean, they had like a weird kind of hybrid of Sick of It All and <laughs> and Rise Against and Good Riddance, and it was, it, yeah. you know, and that, that a lot of that was like my, my gateway to that shit is from... From comps, you know, and hearing yeah. sick of it all on short music for short people and shit like that, <laughs> you know. Or that that song, I yeah. I Believe, I think? Yep. Yeah, I mean, that, that was I a believe. cut too, yeah. So, I mean, that was definitely happening at the time, but it's all, also only going to take you so far.
1: Yeah, but the real problem was the European office. They started out great for fat, but then after a while, the two women who ran it just didn't give a crap anymore. My big example to that is we played this festival, and the headlines were Slayer, Ministry, Sick of It All, and Anthrax, who went on before us. Damn. And this is at, like, the height of Sick of It All in Germany. And it's in front of about fifteen to 20,000 people. And we just fucking kill it. Like, we killed it so hard. We're walking off stage, and there's Tom Araya. And behind <laughs> Tom Araya is all of Ministry. And Tom goes really loud. He goes... How the fuck is ministry gonna follow that? It <laughs> was so. Much. <laughs> Meanwhile, our label, Fat Records, doesn't have anybody there. No representative from the label. No press. Nothing. We just played one of the best shows of our career, blowing away these metal heroes, and there was not one person there to grab us and go, "Hey, go talk to this
0: magazine or this newspaper or blah blah blah." Oh None man! So I get on the phone right
1: away our tour manager was pissed. He was more pissed than us and he was just our tour manager. He calls the, the girl from Fat Records in Germany and I go, hey, you know what we just did? And she goes, oh, I know you guys would do good. I go, well, why weren't you here? Yeah. Nobody from the label was here. And she goes, oh, I don't like the heavy stuff. I like more melodic stuff. <laughs> and I go, all right, thanks. And that's right then we knew we had to call Mike and be like, look, either you know you're not going to fire these ladies because they do good for your other bands, but we're out of here. Yeah. And,
0: our best advice we got when we were talking to all these different labels after that, we talked to Epitaph and whoever, even uh, Victory Records, the hardcore Oh, label. yeah. And the
1: best advice we got was, go with a label where the owners love you. And Century Media came over and they were like, we really still want to sign you guys. And we said, okay, cool. You know, At this point, we were like, who gives a fuck? And the best story we got from our friends, they became our friends, but people who worked at the label was like, we sent them the demos of death of tyrants and the uh, opening track we sent them the, the rough mix of it actually the president's sitting there he puts it in and the whole company's there and he just halfway through it shuts the song off and he goes we got to put this fucking record out he was so <laughs> excited about it he didn't, didn't even get happy. to the
0: best part
1: yeah exactly he didn't even get to the
0: <laughs> end <laughs> Oh, that's fucking great. great, man. yeah. I mean, you gotta have somebody who's really in your corner, you know, somebody who I mean, it's cool to be the outlier, even with a metal lineup, you're still the outlier, but you yeah. you gotta really have the faith
1: to Mike's credit, he always loved sick of it all, yeah, and even to this day when you know like they had their uh, I don't know what anniversary it was for fat records, and propaganda couldn't make it. He called us up, flew us from New York to San
0: Francisco to play their anniversary party. That's it's awesome. Like we
1: were on, you know, we were on the label for a long time, but we were off the label for about 3 or 4 years already, but he flew us over there to play the festival.
0: And then and, uh, you guys went back to him was that because of you reconnecting you there know, or what?
1: The thing is, Century Media was the opposite of Fat in the fact that the European label killed it. They put us right back to being the level we should have we were we were at, you know, pre-Fat in Europe. Yeah. But the American label shit for us all they would say is yeah it's a great record sick of it all it's a good live band but we don't know how to sell hardcore oh <laughs> i
0: don't
1: know what that means
0: like yeah it's a great record i'm gonna just put it over here like god, exactly. god damn it man
1: exactly
0: uh what i learned from
1: dealing with majors and even some indies is the the a and r people will work like it's like us and whoever else and whatever sticks, whatever all of a sudden is it, that's when they're like, that's my idea. I championed that, you know, but they don't give a shit about you if you don't, like, sell a gold album, you know?
0: Yeah. I've heard stuff like that, too, where, you know, as labels change hands and people come and go, it's like, oh, well, I, we were enthusiastically signed by so-and-so who's no longer here. Exactly. You know, and it's like, <laughs> well, now you're the old news, that other guy's project. I'm not going to take ownership on this.
1: But yeah, the deal was when we talked to about the the last album with Century Media, we were like, you have to step it up in America, blah blah blah. And our manager came with the idea, like, what if we do a joint release with Fat Records because they did very well for us in the states, and they they agreed to it.
0: Yeah, that's smart, man. Out I was pretty good. I was really happy when I saw that uh, you guys were kind of joining forces, you know, Century Fat and Sick of It All. I thought that was awesome. Yeah.
1: But like I was saying, Mike's always championed us. He's been good. He's a good guy. We played festivals together. Uh, we did a, one of the punk and drublicks and all that. And he would come He always comes up and goes, like, give us advice on how to sing, how to be a little more, just a little more melodic. <laughs> we're like, we're trying.
0: We're trying. Man, but you're one <laughs> of the only hardcore singers that I feel like can do a full-on scream with a melody, though.
1: Yeah, I tried. That was my joke. I would say I try to scream in key.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I totally get that from your stuff.
1: It's hard, man. It's hard trying to sound good and you because know, like, I never learned. You know, I, I just went out and started screaming.
0: I've heard you talk a little bit. It might have been on that first interview with Aaron too about your vocal habits. I watched it, feeling so much better about myself because I'll go out there and feel like I'm I'm killing the sets, but then after the show, everyone's hanging out. And you got a long drive to the next town or whatever and i'm like okay if i talk any fucking more i'm exactly. I'm gone you know and, and i remember you saying something like that and i was like oh thank god it's yeah. not just me it's
1: funny it's like when we take other bands on tour the first few days they, they're always like what's up with lou why is he not hanging out why is he what's he, <laughs> you know, what's he don't like us and, I'm, and they're like nah he just he's got to save his voice and it's weird I, i'll have friends that they can smoke, they can drink alcohol, they can drink freaking coffee. I love coffee, but when I'm on tour, I don't touch it because it fucks my voice up. I can only drink water 90% of the time on
0: tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I had a vocal coach forever ago, and and they were telling me, they were like, do you drink? I'm like, no. And they said, well, do you drink uh, soda or anything with like caffeine? I said, well, yeah. And And they were like, I promise just... Take a break from that, and you will notice a benefit in your performance. And since then, I almost never have, like, caffeine of any kind just for vocals, you know? Exactly,
1: yeah. It's funny because, like, you know, we're touring the world, and you're in Europe, and you're in Italy or France, and they, we go to a cafe, and they're all drinking coffee, and it smells so good, and looks. I'm sitting there, yeah, I'll just have water.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. Or, or even, just like you said about hanging out with your tour mates and stuff, I mean, I I learned that the hard way just on day one, because I'm in Eugene, Oregon, and I remember our first show on one tour was in Reno, so the first day was just a drive day for like eight or nine hours, and we had the best time, and then we got there, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I already, I already <laughs> lost my voice, we haven't played a show yet. Uh, See, that's the problem, it's too
1: much fun in the band.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Before I, I get to the, uh, the book, I, I had to uh, <laughs> touch on a couple things real quick. First of all, one of my favorite shows that I ever got to play was opening for you guys. It was in, I think, 2001 on the Yours Truly record you were touring. <laughs> it was just the wildest shit because, and I'm betting you remember this, but there was this like drunk punk in the crowd. And he kept pushing to the front, hawking loogies on on you. And I don't know if you know where I'm going. With it. And the fucking dude, he keeps doing it. And you like, in between the songs, you're like, "Hey man, like we're, we're the last band. Like if you if you don't like it, you can go home. It's cool, dude. Like I'm not offended, but you got to stop doing that. You know, and you played another song." And he's still doing it. And people are kind of pushing him away, trying to stop him, you know? And you're like, hey, man, you really got to fucking take a walk, right? And then he does it again after another song. Oh, the second song, you were like, you know what? We're going to play a new one. And you played Hello Pricks. You know, it was like, no one's impressed with your lack of respect. Don't fuck it up for the rest, you know? And I was like, oh, that was perfect. Good segue, like keeping it positive. And then dude does it again in the third song. And you, like, crouch down on the front of the stage, and they're pushing this dude up to the front. (laughs) And uh, do you remember what happened next?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know which which show
0: this is. (laughs) It's at the Wow Hall in Eugene, Oregon, and, and so they push the dude up to the front and you, you got real quiet and you crouched down and you're like, yeah. Are you gonna hang out the whole night? You're gonna be here after the show? And the dude's like just hammered out of his mind. He's like, Why? What? And and you put the mic in your left hand and gave him a right cross and said, So I kick your fucking ass after the show and the whole crowd just swarms this dude drags him out front and throws him down the stairs and oh, God. uh man yeah maybe you don't remember that shit but that fucking uh, no, I know.
1: there's always somebody who's super dry and i try to give him the benefit of the doubt yeah yeah dude you gave him three strikes that. man
0: <laughs> he had three strikes well and then after the show he did come back and i remember fucking you know the whole dance floor was cleared, the venue was empty you know we're just tearing down our equipment and uh i hear all these people yelling at the back door to the club (laughs) and the dude is back and he brought friends right and and you guys i think it's like most precious blood and like blood for blood blood, right and so everybody's swarming to the back and the poor like you know it's a non-profit venue and so the poor volunteers are back there trying to like calm shit down and fucking pete I don't know where he got the fucking thing. He comes out of the green room with a giant monkey wrench. I'm like, where the fuck did you even... And and, and I tried... Like me, like little 16-year-old me, I stepped in front of him. I was like, dude, we don't need to take it there. And he's like, they're fucking with our van. And I just kindly stepped to the side. <laughs> and uh, he went out there and scared him off. The thing in that story owner of the venue or the woman running
1: it she was really sweet when we came and all that then when i had hit the guy she came running i remember it was either at the end of the set whatever i don't remember if we finished the set but i just remember having to go into her office and she's screaming at me going this is the kind of shit you bring you guys will never play here again i'm calling stormy right now oh my god and i said well that piece of shit spit on me like six times And she used the guy's name. I don't remember his name, but say his name's Eugene. She goes, well, Eugene was high. And I go, you know this fucking guy? And she goes, yeah. And you guys better get out of here because he's he's one of the street crust punks or gutter punks. And they're coming back. And I was like, fuck you. You know, I go, call Stormy right now. I'll call Stormy and tell her I don't ever want to play for your shit club again. All I remember is the woman was very mad at me because I punched her drug addict friend in the face for spitting on me all night.
0: (laughs) Well, and honestly, I got a sick satisfaction out of it because around that same time, it was like maybe months before that, we had headlined a show there. My my very first punk band in high school. That dude was there, Uh, and he he knew the owner. Yeah, I guess, and 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 so he fucking maybe she guest listed him or something, but like. Um, That's what she did I remember that fucking dude's face Because he came up to me When we were loading up our shit After the show He came up And I had no idea who this person is I never met him in my life And he licked my face (laughs) (laughs) And like uh, And so fast forward Six months or whatever And seeing that same dude Get knocked out by my favorite hardcore singer was kind of (laughs) satisfying
1: Be like that we no we never are like that no you, you gave know? him
0: every chance in the world
1: there, there's there's stories in the book where you see where it's like how we're pushed into into a situation and we're trying to be cool about it the way that thing ended what i remember is yeah we thought they were all gonna mess with our van we thought there was gonna be an army of them because of what that woman said they're coming back it was like i think three guys and a little girl one of the guys was huge. She was why'd you punch this guy in the face and all was explaining it to him he goes and goes he spit on our singer like six times and then the little girl looks up and spits at our mine. Oh and he my looks god the girl, and then he looks at the guy and he goes, If that's your girlfriend, you're gonna fucking pay for that. And right as he said <laughs> that, it was the loading area was yeah. like on a, a a porch or something or whatever. And all I remember is the guy from Blood for Blood reaching over the railing and dragging the f- three guys, flipping them over the railing from behind and when it hit the ground <laughs> they were like, Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and the guys got up and ran away. And the girl was standing there by herself, and All my goes, get out of here. And she
0: runs away. Dude, that's <laughs> amazing. Like bad, that, bad that must have been movie. like the second that Pete ran up behind.
1: Yeah, it was all
0: <laughs> Well, and I saw um, you guys so... like a year or two after that. It might have been the Life on the Ropes one at the Roseland in Portland. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just caught you in passing, and I was like, yo, we played that fucked up show at the Wow Hall. And, you're, <laughs> and you just laughed, and you were like, man, I did not want to hit him, man. Uh-
1: I mean, look at me. I'm just a tall, skinny guy. I'm not a tough guy, but, you know, I'm a person. Don't sit there and spit on a person. Yeah,
0: yeah, seriously. Uh, Um, It's funny. All right, man, so we have to talk about the newest record, Wake the Sleeping Dragon, out now. That was in my my top two records of that year, man. That fucking... uh, Thank you. I mean, you guys always had the play on the dragon art, but it has this, like, King Kong... Uh, almost Hell like yeah. vintage, cartoony vibe that was just like, I, I think it's your best cover. Oh, thanks. Who, who did the artwork thanks. for that? Ernie Parada, a friend of ours named Ernie Parada. He has a company called Hellgate
1: Industries. He does tour posters for tons of bands. He did Last Act of Defiance. He nice. did the uh, Based on True Story album cover, which was that was the last minute like thrown together one. But <laughs> this one, him and me, we were in the studio doing the backups for the album and Ernie was there and I go hey we gotta talk about the cover and he goes I always wanted to do a movie cover for you I go I always wanted to do a movie poster and he goes what about old horror movies like Frankenstein this and that and Armand walks over and he hears what we're saying he goes I always wanted to see the dragon on the Empire State Building and I go King Kong the 1930 whatever King Kong poster and Ernie knew exactly what I was talking about
0: dude I fucking (laughs) love that man it just clicked you're all in the fucking room
1: yeah, and then you know, we came up with the concept of like, you know, in the movie poster says starring so and so so we put like, you know, all of our band members and then guest vocals and you know, so it looked like an actual movie poster.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. I really like that vibe.
1: The poster came out great and it's it's every time we write a record I sit there, I'm nervous, I'm like, Can we do it again? Is this gonna be better than the last? So people like it. And you have to stop that right away. You have to be like, Do I like it? Exactly. You know? Because if we don't like it, we're not going to put it out. It doesn't matter if any. And when uh, they started bringing in songs and shit, I was like, wow, this is really good. And the funny thing was Craig brought in Inner Vision. And the second they played it, like Craig showed Pete riff and then online, they started coming with the drum parts. The first run through, in my head, I'm like, this is the opening track. Yeah. And like, no, no. I'm like, yeah, you just wait. And when we finished the songs, you know, we recorded everything. I was like, listen to it. And they were like, yeah, that's the opening number. Because it's, Craig was sitting there going like, I want to do like a a Discharge song. You know, that's what he goes in my head. I was Uh. thinking Discharge. But to me, it's like sick of it all paying tribute to Discharge and the Bad Brains combined, you know? If you're a fan of our style or just, you know, old
0: hardcore, and I don't know, I wouldn't say old, just hardcore. Just classic hardcore, hardcore, yeah. we say hardcore now, and I'm not putting these bands down, people think of like,
1: you know knock to lose or something like that and it's that's great i think some of their stuff is good but it's to me it's it doesn't carry the way uh it has nothing to do with the hardcore i grew up in you
0: know yeah i mean i, I stopped playing this shit for a while i mean uh, dfs went on a break because it was like the only bands they ever came through were metalcore being tough and starting fights and it was just like you know this this yeah. this, this is not the vibe for me and 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 so, yeah, I'm all about the, the classic stuff, the positivity. And, and yeah. I mean, I, I just remember when you guys put out that leak for the opening track, the distorted vocals and, like, just, it, just <laughs> the whole vibe of it, I was like, oh, my God, this, this is, like, re-energized. Yeah, some, of the, some of the songs, like, I feel like they could have come off any Sick of It All record, you know, it's, it's just that, it's that timeless sound. Oh,
1: uh, thanks. But that's the thing to me. It was the energy of that track that set the tone for the album. And that, that's, that's I'm drawn more to bands that are, have high energy. And it doesn't mean they have to play at 100 miles an hour. They yeah. just got to have that groove or that power that you know, energizes you, you know?
0: Yeah, you can feel when it's genuine, when it's passionate. Yeah. I wanted to ask just about a couple songs real quick on that record. Um, the song Always With Us, can I ask who is this in reference to?
1: Uh, we had two really good friends. Passed away as we were writing the album. And, and it's, it's funny, because Pete was sitting in there at home, and he goes, uh, I tried to write a song, he
0: goes, I was listening to a lot of Cox Bar, and I tried to write a song like them, but it sounds like ACDC. <laughs>
1: so, and he goes, he wanted to write it about our friend, uh, we had a friend named Ludo, who lived in Belgium, and uh, he was just this cool guy, he had all these connections, he was the, uh, every band that toured there knew him. He's, he's connected to all these He's the guy he would show up, and his trunk would be filled with the most insane amounts of different Belgian beers you could ever want, you know, for the guys who drink beer, which Armind benefited from because he's the only guy in a band that drinks. Yeah. And he was just such a cool guy. And the last night we saw him, we had to move some. It was this weird thing with equipment that we had to leave in Belgium. He took it to his house or something. Then he loaded it all into his car and drove it to some festival where we came back to Belgium. And unloaded. he did us a huge favor. Man. And it's weird, because our relationship with him was all, you know, joking and making fun of each other constantly. But that night, we all said goodbye to him. We were like, ah, thanks a lot. We all hugged him. It was funny. Instead of calling him shitface or something dumb, we really all hugged him goodbye. And then, like, a week later, he passed away of a heart attack. Wow. You know? And that's the first verse was about him. The second verse was about our good friend Dave, who sang for Vision, uh, who died uh, that same year. Man. And it was just a... Uh, Pete came up with some. He had the lyrics, I'd say seventy or eighty percent done, and I just threw in like two or three lines. We went into the studio, and I didn't know if I could do it. I think it came out good. And uh, oh, yeah. I think with our new producer on that album, Jerry Farley, him and me worked on vocals for like a month, like pre- in the demo stages. I'd go to his house. He has a studio in his bedroom, <laughs> but uh, it was great. It was great. It really paid off. Yeah, and he would come up with good ideas, you know, like, oh, on this time when you do the pass on this line, just that word, go a little higher. Not where you're gonna break up, but just go a little. And it was came out great.
0: Yeah, man, that that song fucking it hits home for sure. It's weird. You know, we 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 hoped our friends liked it and people
1: who knew him. There were grown men sending us emails who knew both those guys, saying like, I can't listen to this song without crying. Thank you. You know, he was such a good guy. You know? Dave was huge in the. Not just the New York, New Jersey scene, but he was—you know—Vision was on Epitaph for a while, and he toured the world too. Oh shit, yeah.
0: Vision! They had that—that uh, that song "Close Minded," right? Back in the day. Yeah, um, that was their That was Oh yeah, man! I haven't heard, heard that name in ages. Epitaph
1: song, "Close Minded."
0: <laughs> yeah, <a> <laughs> I haven't heard that name in so long.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had stopped playing, but they would get together once in a while and do a couple of shows. And uh, Dave had come up from Florida for the holidays to be with his family and, uh, and unfortunately he passed away
0: when he was up here man yeah um, but you know I, I think you gave him a, a fitting tribute song. yeah definitely yeah. Uh, la- last song I wanted to ask about was um, Work the System I think is a very relevant track right now <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh yeah what, was there like a catalyst for that because I mean obviously in 2020 it's, it's even more relevant <laughs> than 2018 yeah <laughs>
1: How everybody tries to work the system from the poor man to the rich man you know but it's 90 percent of the time it's the super rich that just benefit from it, no matter what you do you know you yeah. are just showing the good and bad in everybody it's like you said right now it's like the government added that what is it that six hundred dollar uh, bonus to your unemployment yeah i have a friend who runs a uh, a landscaping company and he had to let guys go at the beginning and then uh, a few months ago, he was like, "Hey, work's picked up again. I can hire you guys back." And they were like,
0: "Fuck no! I'm making more money sitting at home." You know? Yeah, so man. I mean, working the system, but they're ruining it for guys like me. I'm a musician, and I can't
1: do what I love and get paid for it because I can't. I'm not allowed to tour, not allowed to play shows, and I need that money
0: too. <laughs> like, I was fucking uh, trapped in a in a quote unquote essential retail environment. <laughs> you know, I had friends that were making my Salary and then some from the couch, safe and sound, while I got these people yeah. breathing on my face and shit and uh I, yeah i was I was not having it right now I work from home, I got a new job and i I'm much happier about it, but yeah i mean it's it's oh, that's good. it's crazy how uh I mean the people out there are at more risk and they're making less than the people in in quarantine
1: yeah i mean that's why on the one hand, I understand why they want to stop giving the uh covid bonus or whatever it's called yeah but at the same time, they're giving a billion point something to the Catholic Church. Do they pay taxes? No, I fucking pay taxes. Yeah, you know, seriously. You pay taxes. Do they give it to the church? You
0: know? Yeah, I mean, they got to be thinking long term, too, because uh, that 600 bucks is only going to take you so far. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I feel like this is one of the best times to be a fan of punk rock and hardcore because... The genres are at an age where we're getting documentaries and books and all this awesome behind-the-scenes shit. I mean, AF had both Roger's book, My Riot, and and The Godfather's a Hardcore documentary. I I was so excited when you and Pete got together and and wrote this book. Um, I I got my pre-order in. I can't wait to read it. Um, (laughs) How did this project come to be, The Blood and the Sweat? Uh, I think
1: it was a year or two years ago. How he approached us. I remember he approached us first about doing it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I just like blew it off, but Pete was really into it. And then we had a meeting with How, and he's like, I think it's going to be good. And, and But in the meeting, the first thing me and Pete said, like, why can't you just be a sick of it all book? Because it's an essential part. You know, we all grew up together, really. Yeah. And he goes, that'll be in the book. But he goes, to try a different angle than, oh, here's another book about a hardcore band. We want to talk about, you two being brothers in a band and how it for better or worse what has happened you know and that's what we do talk about it Armin and craig are in there they've been interviewed there's a lot of other people that we knew growing up and also you know uh, bands that we've toured with it's it's good it's got some funny i'd say it's more lighthearted than most hardcore books it doesn't end every chapter with "and then i kicked his ass you
0: yeah know? I mean what is the the format of the project cuz I mean it sounds like there's a lot of people contributing to it. I mean are you guys sitting down and writing this stuff or is it mainly like you're doing these interviews and and your co-writer is kind of helping you, you know, put it through that prism? Yeah. He he would uh
1: try to instigate the conversations like, "Okay, this era, what were you guys doing when, you know, naming different albums or tour or whatever." So it's it's really just us talking about being together growing up and then starting the bands and all this stuff and then he would recorded as he spoke and then that's the process that was weird is because then you have somebody else transcribe it then we have to sit there and read the transcription to be like no 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 i said that you know sometimes <laughs> it would say pete says this and it would be like no no i said that and then Pete would be like yeah Lou said that
0: so they transcribe it and then they give you a proof of that and then from that it's distilled into like the chapter or whatever
1: Exactly, yeah. Thank
0: you. That's a crazy that's, process, man. That's That sounds super... I mean, to me, it sounds it, it, fun because I, I love all that behind-the-scenes shit, but I don't know. I, I mean, what was that I, process for you? It was great. I mean, th- I think that's another reason Howie got the idea. He would be
1: hanging out, and we'd all be backstage talking about, you know, even with him, like, hey, Howie, because he, he was essential and get assigned to our first label, In Effect Records. He, that was his... His label, subsidy of Relativity. Okay. And uh, we would be sitting backstage before a show and, and talking, and be like, "Hey, how you remember that time at Relativity? We were coming to do a meeting, and, and we pull up, and then there's cops everywhere, and the whole warehouse just got robbed." <laughs> so <they'd be> like, <laughs> that's you know, that's exclusive. That's not even in the book.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, where's the rest of the heist story?
1: <laughs> they had their offices in Hollis, Queens you know, where Run DMC was from. Yeah. It was like a middle-class neighborhood, but there was a high crime rate. And I guess somebody was watching the record company and they knew that, oh, on this day of the month or, or week, the warehouse people get paid and we would just walk through the, the loading bay to get into the, uh, the warehouse. I guess they knew what time the... Checks were handed out, or wherever they cash their checks, and they just walked, two guys went in and robbed everybody at gunpoint. Oh and my god! Up, we show up for a meeting, and they're like, oh "I think
0: you guys should go home." <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I fucking really appreciate you coming on. This was a, a, a real treat for me, and I'm I'm. Ex- uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm excited for the book. Everybody should go to the SICK of It All Insta. And check out the uh, the pre order info for Blood yeah. and the Sweat. Uh, you guys got a, a record store out in NYC that's the push in the pre-order, right?
1: Yeah, uh, Generation Records is doing it here. It's available, you know, of course through Amazon and all that. But uh,
0: yeah, I pre order mine just, on Amazon. If you got if an you Amazon go to, account, hit it up.
1: Yeah, if you go to like or the Instagram and follow the links there, you
0: know, Oh, and then you'll find it. I saw you guys also raised uh, a bunch of money for that auction for the Nomads. That was pretty cool too.
1: Yeah, that was good. We also did a limited edition shirt for uh, Puerto Rico, and that did great. That raised almost, I think it was either, almost $7,000 for, wow. for, uh, for that. And it was given to a, uh, I can't see right now, I'm drawing a blank, but it was given to this uh, chef who, who went down there, and he would just cook dinner for the people for free, so we raised $7,000 for that, too.
0: That's awesome, so, man. I love that you guys are doing uh, that.
1: We try to do what we can do, you know? Just yeah. like everybody else,
0: you know? All right, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. Huge shout out to Lou for taking the time. Sometimes I can't believe I get to do this show. It's, it's really a, a privilege to talk with people who have inspired me for so long. Now, normally I would play you off with a song from this artist, but since he's putting out a book, I'm going to show you a little extra clip from when we were talking off-air. I asked him about one of my favorite features he did for Ensign, and we hit record again, so check this out. Let me kick it on again. 15 years with Ensign, bonus feature. Yeah, I
1: sang on that track. Years later, I sang on an H2O song.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: At, At Christmas time, the Bouncing Souls would always do the show, Home for the Holidays, and they always have their friends on. So at one show, it's Ensign, H2O, and the Bouncing Souls. And the Bouncing Souls call me up. They go, you come? And I go, yeah. They go, we're going to do Good Looking Out. We want you to sing it. (laughs) So here I am going to show just to sing with the Bouncing Souls. And then Ensign goes on. And Tim goes, we're doing 15 years. You've never (laughs) sung it with us live. Can you please do it in my hometown in New Jersey? And I'm like, as long as the Bouncing Souls aren't pissed. And they were like, no, go ahead. So I sing with him. And then Toby from H2O comes up to me. (laughs) We're going on next. And they were doing that song, uh, What Happened to the Passion, and I sing on that. And he's all upset because he was a roadie with Tim for Sick of It All also.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, you're going to come out and sing on our song, too? And I was like, oh, God.
1: So by the time I go to sing with the Bouncing Souls, they're like, well, you've seen him twice. You might as well bring him out again. Here's Lou from Sick of It All.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's great.